Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. At this point, like we're not crying because of the terror of the war. We just see the amount of support. And like when people reach out and personal let us know, hey, we're praying for you. We're standing with you. What else can we do? That's what actually brings tears to our eyes. That is the voice of Yulia Clack. She is translating for her mother today, Natalia Chornomor, who is a studio director for the Bible Today, which is a ministry in Ukraine that is also a partner with Square One World Media right here in Canada. Today on Connections, Natalia will share through her daughter, Yulia, how God is still working in their community, how we can pray for the people of Ukraine, and what the Bible Today ministry is doing for the people in their community. We're joined today by Natalia Chornomor. She is the studio director for the Bible Today ministry in Ukraine. We're also joined by her daughter, Yulia Klak, who will be translating for her. Tell us a little bit about the Bible today and what this ministry does. To start with, our studio was uh, registered uh, last century, 1999. And uh, in our area, it was the first ministry that was initiated not by church, but by the local government. After the Soviet Union broke down, uh, we had a crisis. So there were two plants in our town with about 10,000 people employed who worked for um, war um, production or, yeah, war military stuff. So after Soviet Union broke down, those plants stopped working. A lot of men left to go overseas or somewhere else to make money. And there was a year when the percentage of divorces increased the percentage of marriages. So we were seeing a lot of like more criminal activities. And the director of the local radio uh, reached out to us and he said, I need to do, I need to find something that can provide people hope. So uh, like I mentioned, uh, the Soviet Union was broke down and we experienced like speech of freedom um, for the first time. So we tried to do whatever we could. At that time, we had three little children. So after um, we we saw it was like a wave of a big revival after 70 years of being under Soviet Union and people were just thirsty for, um, yeah, for everything. When we heard, <laughs> to get back to it, when we heard there was a need, uh, we've never done radio programs before, but when the when they reached out to us, we were like, radio programs? Sure, we'll do them. <laughs> so uh, he, my husband, he took over more of a technical side. So he was doing the recording on two, um, guys, I don't know what they call it. They're like, uh, it uses cassettes to record. Uh, in Ukrainian, it's called magnetophon. <laughs> uh, so that like, yeah, recorder that you put a cassette inside. And my mom was doing the writing of the programs. And at that time, my dad had a full-time job. He worked at a uranium mine. So they had to do it at night when we were sleeping. And they recorded it all at home. 
So uh, there was a little bit of a b- background in history. I'm not going to spend much time on it. But uh, by some miracle, we were connected to people that were um, working uh, in Canada. Uh, they called Family Life Network back then, and now they're called um, uh, Square One World Media. So we are doing uh, recording radio programs, and uh, later we started also doing video production, short documentaries, and um, yeah, video. And it happened that uh, our whole family uh, was involved, even our children, uh, when they were little, they were helping with voiceovers, and then helped with building websites when they got older and now uh, are doing our social media accounts. So we were on air by two thirds of regions of Ukraine. So more than half, um, they were non-Christian radio station that broadcasted our uh, radio programs, live educational events for the youth of uh, our town and not only. So right now we transitioned from like radios uh, that people listen at homes more to um, projects that we're doing in on the social media and internet. We're wanting to know how we can uh, pray it for our friends and brothers and sisters in Ukraine. So tell us, yeah, about that. When Russia started to invade, uh, where were you and what was the sense? How was, how were people feeling and ex- what were they experiencing? I personally uh, found out about the actual like invasion in b- bombing from my daughter who called me at 5 a.m. in the morning, Yulia. Uh, in 2014, when annexed, when Crimea was uh, took, uh, taken over by Russia or annexed by Russia, as well as two uh, eastern regions of Ukraine, Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, so since uh, since that happened, our local church, our pastor, Andre, um, her son, my brother, uh, would go there to help out the civilians in that area, as well as to talk yeah. to the soldiers and bring supplies. But none of us, uh, they were actually, uh, that's a remark from me, uh, my brother was coming back from the east that day, a few hours before the actual word happened. But what my mom said was, uh, we none of us could believe that in 21st century, we that's even possible and we would be experiencing what was going on. So the state that we're in, as well as so many people, uh, I don't think that we accepted it yet or comprehended or fully understand the terror and destruction that happened and continue happening to and in our country. And in the morning, we wake up and we have this hope. And then you live the day, you see what you see, you experience uh, those things. And then by the end of the day, you're emotional and spiritually exhausted. But by some miracle of God, every new morning brings a little bit of hope. So the cities and the regions that are on the border with Russia, cities like Militopol, Mariupol, and not only the cities that are on the border, there are a lot of you 
There are quite a few that are near Kiev, and we have friends and pastors there, so I can describe the situation there from their words and what they are experiencing and what they're seeing there. So uh, the cities that I mentioned before, not only them, but a lot of uh, the bigger cities that are experiencing like bombing, active bombing, um, most of the cities, when you look at them, they're completely destroyed and wiped out. So people are trapped there now. They're spending not hours, they're spending days and nights in shelters. When our government is trying to arrange a green corridor, the, uh, they're being violated by Russians and they're actually using it as purposefully to um, kill civilians. And it's uh, the shelters they're spending the nights and days in. Uh, it's winter in Ukraine, so it's cold. There's no, there's no water, there's no bread. There's nothing for them there. I would like to share with you, uh, I can provide you with links of English uh, uh, resources that are official government resources that you can um, check out for yourself. So before I tell you like what we actually do as a studio, I, I want to share with you about three as we see them, global prob- problems right now that are just uh, tearing apart our hearts. So beside the terror of the war that we're seeing, uh, 2.5 million women and children of refugees that are they're currently uh, abroad. So the tragedy that we're seeing is when families are being um, separated, just those scenes, uh, seeing women with children saying goodbye, their husbands are taking them to train station or taking them closer to the border, seeing them saying goodbye. It's uh, so tragic. It's as tragic as seeing your city being bombed or seeing tanks. We're so saddened by it. Our town is not actively uh, being shot at or bombed, so it's relatively safe there right now. But today, uh, this actually during the night, there were bombs that were um, they were landed about seventy kilometers from our hometown. From the first day of war, our government put and sent all the effort to the um, cities, places that are on the border, or strategic like places for Russia, and it became like hot zones. And we locally, uh, we had to organize and provide and establish for ourselves. So. Uh, there was like smaller cities that are not being bombed. Uh, they're being kind of left on their own. So we happened to be um, those people who were able to organize and put some systems and organize teams to provide, provide for everything, provide for everybody. We, at that moment, we needed cash while we could, and there was still things that we could purchase there uh, to buy supplies. But then eventually there comes a moment where people want to help financially, but it's too late because we exhausted all our resources. So we're thankful for those who stepped up the second the war started.
um, with things getting a little bit closer to where you are, do you ever plan to leave or will you stay? I want to say something before she yeah. answers the question, if it's okay with you guys. Yes, I don't want to be a translator who, <laughs> from me. Uh, I think when uh, I was there a few weeks ago, I came to surprise my dad for his 60th birthday. And I just like came back a few weeks ago. So we were, I was there when we were seeing and hearing on the news, oh, like it's, if you can't go get out of there, the United States was like warning the escalation was happening. We all like spent the time in like such horrible state of anxiety and anticipation of like what not unknown and what's going to come. Um, and I'd say that like the last month or whatever before the war started, but in fact, for most people in Ukraine, it was like for the last eight years since Russia occupied Crimea in uh, Eastern territories, uh, temporarily, I should say. Um, but if they, they had that chance and they could be the first people to leave, but that back then, I don't know what's going to happen next for them, but they knew that I would do everything. I live in the United States right now to get them as far as I can from there, but they chose to stay and um, they're choosing to stay right now but i'll go ahead and let my mom answer the question mm -hmm. we see we understand that we have a skill to organize processes and systems maybe whatever you want to call it and we do have um like reputation that we've built and we see that um, most people are still staying. When we see this huge number of people that are being refugees and leaving, those are the people that can afford, and not everybody can afford. So um, it's our decision to stay there and be there for the people um, that have stayed. And if we have uh, a few more minutes, they can share with you what they were able to do locally uh, in our town for the community. So the first day of war or the first days, we experienced stress that was, it's like, it's, you cannot describe it with your words. And my, I call it my ministry or my task that I took on was to every girl that I saw or a woman or especially young girls. I just wanted to hug them and I asked if I could. And I told them that you have to stay strong because your future wife, your future mom, your, your future mom to future Ukrainian little boys and girls. So I was there to <laughs> encourage them, encourage them. I, I think that it's extremely important right now, not maybe necessarily preach right now uh, to the audience because I am still uh, being able to be kind of active on my social media. So this is my message to them, to stay strong. I hug you. I want you to feel my support. Reach out to me. Um, yeah. So uh, in 2014, during the revolution, church uh, had the most support from uh, civilians, from people, because church was the one who joined and stood there with people, uh, went through all the protests, went through everything. And uh, that's why people have trust right now to church. The, the church in our hometown, that's where we're renting the studio space from. Uh, they have, um, they're the only church that has 
its own building, two-story building. So people just started coming like crazy because uh, part of the reason they're afraid to be alone now and we were able to organize a group of women that come every day and they're making uh, masking or camouflage nets for the soldiers and territorial defense. Uh, so our church, uh, during normal circumstances, used to feed like 60, 70 uh, people three times a week. Uh, now we have people come from all over the place and they have to feed them like every day. And this number is growing every day. So the mayor in our town, he could, he happened to be not as strong when the war started. So he like disappeared for three days. He was just drunk the first three days of war. So there was no like order coming from him. So uh, locally, you know, there's army, but there's also territorial defense. It's like more like a volunteer army. They were called three days before the war started. And we found out uh, that nobody, nobody fed them for four days. So, and we have a friend, a faithful, uh, trustworthy person there that's like in charge of it. So because of that connection, we, were, we learned about the need and we were able to organize kitchen for them. So now we're feeding territorial defense, uh, the guys that are protecting our town uh, every day. Uh, the place where they're staying, like like I said, like learning the needs, being able to respond, been amazing because uh, they didn't have a place to stay. We were able to equip the uh, their I don't know like the military housing, mm-hmm. um, provide heaters for them. It's m- provide things to sleep on. They literally had zero things there, nothing. So we were so happy to. Uh, be able to serve them in that way. Could you mm-hmm. ask her, how has she seen God moving uh, in the midst of this? And how can we pray in Canada? The most horrible thing for all Ukrainians right now that we cannot uh, deal ourselves is the sky. Uh, we'll take care of everything else, our soldiers, but we that's our fear, that's our prayer, that's our hope that the sky will be closed and we're not going to stop asking for it. I believe that we, with our army, with the willingness of people that are willing to protect to protect and defend our uh, country with bare hands going against things we can do and we can we can win but we need help with the sky and that's our yeah biggest thing we now we're uh, like places near us we're experiencing we're, we're seeing it like It's this tragedy when uh, we cannot help, we cannot do anything when bombs land from the sky on places like kindergartens or birthing homes. So this is our biggest pain, this is our biggest hurt, and this is our biggest prayer request in our prayer. You can pray for our town. It's becoming a place where uh, refugees or more refugees are coming. So we need uh, we need to be able to provide for them. We need to be able to buy food for them. We need to be able to figure out housing for them. So that's another huge prayer request. And that's something big that we're facing next stage 
that we're facing right now. I'll tell you uh, that we're so thankful for your prayers, and I want you to know that we feel them. Uh, that's uh, the only thing that keeps us going right now. And at this point, like we're not crying because of the terror of the war. We just see the amount of support. And like when people reach out and personal let us know, hey, we're praying for you. We're standing with you. What else can we do? That's what actually brings tears to our eyes. So when we give up our like nuclear weapon, uh, we now we feel alone and not protected and left out by the rest of the world. So uh, at least like receiving the support from people makes us feel not alone. Mm-hmm. Thank you very Thank you. much. Oh, Thank you. They're so sweet. Slava Ukraini. Go Ukraine. <laughs> Thank you. We're praying for you and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time today. Дякуємо за ваш час. Ми молимося за вас. Ми вас цінуємо. Thank you, guys. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation or to any of the other conversations that we've had here on Connections, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike Tom and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.